0: Hey everybody, welcome to Just For Variety. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today is April 5th, 2023. On this week's show, I'm talking to Dove Cameron. The star of Schmigadoon talks the show's second season, why she made two music videos for her hit single Breakfast, and if she's ready or not ready for Broadway. Cameron, who identifies as queer, also opened up about the recent increase in anti-LGBTQ legislation and rhetoric and why she has gone public about her very private mental health struggles. But before we get to Ms. Cameron, let's take a look at this week's Just For Variety column. Melanie Linsky wants to return to The Last of Us. Only problem is, as fans of the HBO series know, her ruthless resistance group leader character Kathleen was killed off at the end of the first season. If they wanted to go back and do an origin story, I would be there for it, Linsky tells me. The story of how this woman got into this crazy position would be really interesting. Linsky admits she knew nothing about The Last of Us video game before she was approached about the project. I've never played a video game, she says. My thumbs don't work that way. I didn't even play Atari. I was reading books. I was reading DH Lawrence when I was a child. She jokes it was her husband, Jason Ritter, who convinced her to take the part. He said, you have to do it, no questions asked, Linsky recalls. I was like, but I'm tired. He was like, I don't care. Read more of Just for Variety in this week's magazine or online at variety.com. Welcome back to Just for Variety. I'm talking to Dove Cameron. The 27-year-old actor and singer first rose to fame as a Disney Channel star for her title roles on Liv and Maddie. She went on to star in the Descendants franchise. Now Cameron returns for the second season of Schmigadoon as Jenny Banks, a character in honor of Sally Bowles from Cabaret. In other words, Dove Cameron is giving really good Liza Minnelli. At the same time, Cameron has become a bona fide pop star. Her single boyfriend has become an out and proud queer anthem, and her more recent release, Breakfast, is a rallying cry for women's rights. Here's Dove Cameron. Hi, Dove. Hi. How are you?
1: I'm better now, looking at you.
0: Oh, you're too sweet. You're too sweet. You have been busy. Every time I go online, there you are, Jimmy Fallon, then you're doing Drew Barrymore, then you're doing a performance here, a performance there. Obviously, we have a lot to talk about, but let's just start off with. And I have been practicing how to say it, schmikago.
1: Yeah, say it right. Yes, you did. You are. <laughs> you're one of the few. It's uh It's it's a. Uh, it's so funny. Even even the cast and I for season one, we would catch ourselves being like Schmidagoon, like Schmigdiddy, <laughs> like it's it's a bit of a it's <laughs> not strong branding, but it's a. But it's a, yeah, it's, it's been like so amazing to be able to finally talk about season two because it felt like a century ago that we filmed it.
0: What is amazing about it, because I'm such a theater queen, (laughs) is when I'm watching you, I watched the first two episodes and I watched that, that, that number you do in, in the, I think it's in the dressing room or in the hotel room. I'm like, is that Liza Minnelli? Like
1: oh my God, don't that's the biggest compliment in the world.
0: But it sounds like I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, this is a song from Cabaret. I'm like, wait a minute, no, it's not. Yeah, that's what's so magical about the music. And I know it's the same thing with the first season, but Cabaret. Is so I mean, it's yeah.
1: just. I've been saying it's it's like um, it's like hallowed ground for so many of us, right? Like it yeah. was transform like a transformative, very like education, awakening for so many of us, like, especially, you know, I'm sure you can relate, but like growing up as a queer person and seeing, I only had access to the film until I got older, but just seeing like the queer representation Mm -hmm. in a, in an environment that was also, you know, so sexually liberated, those two things coupled together were really healing and like necessary to see growing up. For me to become the person that I was, and I know for so many other people, they feel the same. So it's like a really magical, kind of fun, you know, thing that we get to play in this season,
0: but it but it's fascinating how the the music sounds like we know it,
1: yeah. We- so yeah, I know it's wild. I, the cast and I still like marvel about that uh, because Cinco and our incredible team of writers uh, somehow toe the line between you know, making it reminiscent of these things that live in our bodies and our nervous system, but also while bringing light and levity to things. Cause you know, this, the world of Schmigadoon is so, um, it's so tongue in cheek. And so like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's very like an inside joke with the audience. So it's amazing to me how they can manage to pay homage and yet like bring a a sort of a self-awareness to it that doesn't step on, The original source material—it's—it's kind of wild.
0: Yeah, it's it's, this—it's—it's. I don't know if this is the right phrasing. I don't think this is the right phrasing. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. It's like a respectful parody. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, the way that I've been sort of looking at it is like you know when you poke fun at your best friend, it's like all of the things that you love so much about them, but you're gonna you're gonna like take them down a peg or two because you love them. It's like that. It's like with love. Um, but it's also it's like with deep reverence, but also like, you know, we're making our entire show about these musicals like it's deeply love based.
0: So when you're when you're shooting Shmigadoon, Shmikog- <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Say, Shmikago, Um, obviously you're performing now on stage, you're performing, you know, your own music, but does is there a part of you that says, you know, I need to go back to Broadway. I want to be on Broadway. I want to star in an original musical or I want to do cabaret.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if, if yeah, if I could do cabaret every night, that would be, I mean, just a dream come true. Um, I actually, I went to go see Aaron the other night in Moulin Rouge cause he only has a few weeks left. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, my mouth was agape. I was like, I, I need to figure out how to get back to the eight show a week schedule. Like, first of all, that's something that I'm not sure I have the gusto for right now. Like I'm kind of, I'm kind of on my last leg. Like I I found out I have a lot more legs than I thought I had, but I'm on the last one. (laughs) So I would need to like, I would need to seriously prepare, you know, lock myself in a cabin in the mountains for a few weeks to just get my, my blood going again. But definitely, I mean, stage is always something that, it's so magical, it's so singular, it's so community-based, it's so ephemeral. And there's nothing else these days that, it's it's sort of like the last frontier for, mm. you know, the sort of like human connection meets art, like in the right. current, moment. like there's everything else we can get on demand and whenever we want it and at the tip of our fingers, like all the time. And stage work and live perform, like touring your own music is just one of the last morsels of like real human magic that has persevered um hundreds of years and so it's yeah it's definitely like it'll never leave me but I don't think I'm I don't think I'm qualified right now it sounds like the Olympics to me I'm like, do
0: not do not sell yourself short um who who won the cast um did you go did you get closest with I mean I imagine you want to pick everyone's brains there are all these Broadway veterans sitting there but who who did you bond with the most
1: well, it was actually different from season one to season two. Um, season one was really isolative because it was still at the height of COVID. We were one of the only shows that was trying to figure out how to get through it. Um, and so there were a bunch of people that if you if I wasn't in the scene with them, I just didn't speak to them. Like Aaron and I have this this joke where it's like, I feel like I finally met him in season two. Like he knocked wow. him out and he was like, hey. And I was like, hi, I'm dope. Um, but I definitely, I think that the great thing about this cast is that these are all, of course, like you said, veterans and geniuses and and icons, um, but they're also the most normal, lovely people you've ever met in your life. Like, there's just not a single person that I don't feel familial with. Mm. Um, and I I think season one for me, I got definitely closest with Alan, yeah. um, which was. I kept being like, I do not understand, like if there are gods, they're smiling upon me. I was like, <laughs> Alan is my hero. Um, and I mean, talk about cabaret legend. Nice. And so that was he, so important for me, especially as like a young queer person, just like having him in my life as like my 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 queer, you know, fairy, fairy godfather. Um was oh, so god, <laughs> yeah, my my queer fair, my queer fairy god, human. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's become someone really special in my life uh, outside of the show. Um, and then I feel like I definitely got closest with Aaron this season. Mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was really close with Keegan from last season as well, but I think Aaron, I now consider to be a friend outside the show. Like, like in terms of like, cause when you're working with people, you always have the, um, intention of seeing them outside the show, but then everybody's here and somebody's there and somebody has a kid and somebody gets married. It's just like, you know, trying to herd sheep, trying to get people together. But um, I feel like I've really, you know, in my life transferred Alan and 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 Aaron. And, yeah.
0: Uh,
1: but yeah, everybody's amazing.
0: So let, let's talk about um, your music you're working on. When I hear you say, oh, I'm working on my first album. I'm like, what? <laughs> huh? Yeah. Because, you know, you've had these hits. You've had such a presence now. Thank you. What kind of pressure do you feel, though, to deliver an album that lives up to these singles that you've released?
1: Huge pressure. Huge pressure. Um, I mean, like, keep you up at night kind of pressure. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Because, you know, Boyfriend was um, really one of the first songs I, like, sat down to write ever. Um mm-hmm. uh, and like with any intention of putting it on a body of work that is like not kind of like just fucking around. Uh, And when that happens like that, when you like sit down and you're like, and it just like accidentally just takes off and and changes your whole career, you're like, I don't even know how I did that. (laughs) I don't even know (laughs) how I, how that happened. was just like a total accident. Um, And then obviously breakfast came next and that, you know, did fairly well. And I, I think it it's just, all I'm really thinking about right now is um, making sure that I'm excited by it. Like if it's something that I wake up and I'm like, I want to hear that. I want to get into a headspace via that song or these collections mm-hmm. of songs, or it makes me want to, you know, like um, shave my head or something, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. shave my head and uh, commit myself to, uh, you know, like a, like a totally new lifestyle. Then like, that's the kind of music that I want to be. Making and then, as long as you're in love with it, I think that that supersedes an external validation sort of mental space. Okay, Um, because like I've had other songs that I put out that didn't do as well as those two, uh, and there have been some where I was like, Yeah, that one really wasn't my favorite and it didn't connect, that's the worst. But when you go, I love that song and I don't care how it did because I listened to that song and I think it's max, then you actually you sort of skip over the whole, like, oh, it didn't connect. It didn't really do what we wanted it to do because you love it. And if you're not creating for yourself, you're really creating for no one.
0: And your song, you know, breakfast, obviously boyfriend have messages. You watch those videos. Mm. I mean, the breakfast video is so genius. Thank you. It's like, I was thinking about it earlier today. It's like handmaid's tale upside down.
1: Yeah, totally. Thank you. Thanks.
0: You know, and it's it's you you presented it in such a fresh way of that that trying to think of if gender expectations and roles and um, stereotypes were reversed, but you presented it in such a fresh way, in such a new contemporary way because we we've seen it before, but you were able to just it's a it's I always try to describe music and I'm not a music critic
1: so, but it's like
0: it's alarming
1: mm-hmm, yeah when
0: you see you in the soup and there's this like almost soothing ballad to it all you it's the fucked up of it all is yeah. really good,
1: thank you, yeah, so I was actually. I flew back in the middle of season two to do that video. So what basically had happened was I, I filmed another music video for breakfast first before I left for Vancouver. Mm. Um, and it was like good, you know, it was very like sexy pop girly, like, you know, something that, it was just a, you know, a video. It was like adequate. Um, and I liked it and we were kind of working on the edit. Uh, and then the news of Roe v Wade broke mm. and I was in Canada. Um, And I was just feeling so desolate. Like I really, I really, um, I hadn't felt that low in a while where I was just like, Mm. I have no hope or faith in our government. Um, I have no hope or faith that like, like I felt like my sort of universal worldview really should like, you know, there are so many things that happen in the world that are like little pickaxes to the, to your worldview. Mm. Um, And for me, I feel like the Roe v. Wade uh, conversation that was ongoing for so long, it so felt like one step forward, five steps back. Like it was just this kind of perpetual thing. And then when it finally broke, um, I, like so many other people, women, people who love women, non-binary people, everybody, everybody who's affected by this, which is truly everyone. I was feeling um, like I just didn't want to get out of bed. I was just like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to talk to anybody. How am I going to be a good actor today? How am I going to, I was just feeling really, it was, it was heavy. It was weighing heavy on me. Um, and, uh, my mom actually flew out because I struggle with depression like so many people do. And I was starting to feel like that familiar dark cloud thing. Mm-hmm. where you know when it's creeping back up and you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're like, not right now, not right now, I need to work. And yeah. uh, and so I was like, mom, I, I actually think I really need you out here. Like I'm a full-blown adult, but I was <laughs> I was like, I think I really need somebody out here. Yeah. So my mom flew out and my label was trying to get me to approve all of these videos. And I was like, I could not make myself care about anything except for what was going on um, in Congress and with women. And, uh, and so my label was like, what are we going to do to get Dub to respond essentially? And, and and I was like, guys, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, um, I know we have a deadline. I know we have to get this song out, but I just feel like music and music videos, it doesn't matter right now. Like, why aren't we talking about everything that's actually going on? And they were like, well, would you want to reshoot it and, and, and make something that reflects how you're feeling right now? And I said, you would do that for me? Like, that's really expensive. (laughs) And they were like, yeah, if you can, if you can get Apple to agree to fly you back home, we'll make the music video that you want to work on that feels like what you're feeling right now that really represents um, your current headspace. So that's what we did. And um, I really, I feel like when I'm in conversation with people who are not sympathetic to someone who the people who are discussing anyone's rights as though it's like a debate, right? Like the people who are like, well, let's think about the finer points of, and you're like, if ever I'm talking to someone like that, I always find that like my instinct is to be like, what if it was you? Like it's, you really are so in the weeds of it. You're really so in the details of it that you can't see it from a universal human standpoint Mm. in the way that it is a human rights issue. Um, and so we just wanted to flip it and, and to sort of show men uh, or people who are in support of, um, you know, banning uh, women's control over their bodies, how ridiculous it really is, how much of a double standard it really is and, and give them the emotional experience of how trapping it feels to yeah. be a woman in modern society.
0: Ooh. When are you gonna run for office?
1: <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> <New day>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. We're gonna take a short break right now, but when we return, Cameron opens up about mental health and why she's been so public about her very private struggles. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Just for Variety. I'm Mark Malkin. Here's more of Dove Cameron. Were you always, um, I mean, the word, it's political it's, it's, um, being outspoken. where did you find your voice or how did you find your voice?
1: Um, I don't know. I think I was a really, I've always been pretty like justice oriented. Like I'm, I'm one of those people where I'm like, if I'm playing a board game and somebody cheats, it like irrationally upsets me. Like, I'm always like, ah, uh, and they're like, it's a game. And I'm like, there's a right and there's a wrong. Like I, <laughs> I'm very much one of those people that's like, I just get really hung up on like fairness issues or, or like, um, you know, anything that's relating to like selfishness or self-interest or like a, anything that feels like a double standard or or anything like that. Like I've always been, I was a really sort of passionate kid about issues like that where I was like, this seems unbalanced. Um, And so for me, I don't actually think of it as political to be interested in like human rights issues and, and things where things are technically, yes, being, you know, there are there's policy, people are voting, it's, you know, it, you know obviously it's in politics, but I don't view it to be isolatively political. Mm-hmm. I view it as like caring about human beings. And I actually think that if you put the cap of like democracy or politics over something, it turns people off as though it's like, ah, not dinner table conversation. Right. And it's like, no, no, dude, like this is super fucking simple here, here are the issues at hand. Here's what's happening. And here's what you can do about it or not. And when you side over here, this is the consequence and whatever. And then it's like, if you, if you don't make it feel like, um, something inaccessible to people and you're like, like, I still think that so many people, maybe Gen Z less, but I feel like a lot of people really before the Trump, Trump, he who shall not be named of it all, um, showed up on the scene, really though that generation was sort of like, um, more so, more so than Gen Z, I think, because everybody feels like everything's blowing up and the world is dying. And they're like, you know, red, red button, red button. Right. But I feel like that generation was more like, ugh, politics, like it's so complicated. And, mm-hmm. and like, I grew up that way. Right. Like it was just sort of like, it was on in the radio, but it was like for adults and like intellectuals. Um, and I feel like now it's, it's just like dire. It's, it should be as fundamental is like, like, we don't need to learn cursive. (laughs) We don't need to learn cursive in schools. We need to, we need to learn about, we need to learn about democracy and and, and politics at like the age of five.
0: (laughs) On a more personal level, um, your post in May talking about depression, Mm. dysphoria, so powerful. Thanks. Um, Talking about trying to use this very seemingly inhumane vehicle of social media and um, to sort of heal yourself.
1: Hmm.
0: Did you find it healing by putting it out there?
1: I think yes and no. Um, I'm pretty upfront with myself every day about my mental health. Mm
0: -hmm. I don't,
1: I don't actually have the mechanism of like shutting it down or blocking it off. Um, which I think is a good thing in the long run, but sometimes it can be an inconvenience. Um, So I never have an issue with like, Oh, I have to face this. I'm like constantly facing it. So for me, it was less to do with like, I need to talk about this and more to do with like, I'm always talking about it. And I think that I have a really hard time translating my real life experience onto social media, because if I'm present in the moment, I'm just not capturing it. And the people who are around me are not capturing it. And you know what it feels like to have, I feel like some people are really good about like, if you look at their page, it's like I know who you are. That's what it's like to have dinner with you. This is who you are with your friends, and like I get your little isms, and I'm not that way. Hey, I, I don't know if it's because I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is,
0: but I'm, Capricorns I'm, are the I'm, best.
1: Capricorns are the best, honey. But <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I think people just. um, I think it might be because when I'm like working, I'm in work mode, and then usually what people see is my work. Uh, and then when people speak to me, they're like, "Oh, you're actually like kind of." and nice to talk to and I was like fuck me dude like I have to just maybe put more of myself onto this platform because it's it's really not like a it's not a great dissonance to have where people like think you're one thing and then you're a completely different person and I I didn't curate it that way I actually can't figure out how to not do that but um but I just wanted to kind of like also remind people that um I think the whole taboo of mental health is really confusing Because I don't know one person where when you talk to them about your struggles, isn't like, oh my God, me too. And so it's kind of like group agreement where we all kind of like wrote a secret note and threw it in the fire. And we said never to speak about it again. It's like, why, why? And listen, I understand also like, if you don't feel comfortable talking about your mental health, that's a totally different story. Like no one should make you talk about anything that you do not want to speak about. But I don't agree with the social construct of having mental health be like this wild inappropriate thing to talk about. It's like, isn't that the one thing that we all undoubtedly have in common? (laughs) And if we talked about it, wouldn't it just like alleviate so much of like the muscle tension? It's, it's,
0: it's, it's, listen, I'm in recovery. So, you Um, know, recovery, you know, we talk about um, talking to someone else in recovery and it's literally verbalizing it. Yeah. Getting it out. You know, yeah. sometimes that means writing it. Um, but, you know, when I, read, when I read your post, you know, obviously I'm older than you. And I, you know, I came of age at the time when, no, you didn't talk about mental health. You know, yes. my family was, it was all secrets. Yes. All, all secrets. Totally. And it's the biggest cliche and they're cliches for reasons, but secrets will kill you. Literally, yeah. figuratively
1: isn't, isn't that the whole, what, what you resist persists. It's just like, and I I also sort of feel like this doesn't make any scientific sense. So don't, (laughs) they're going to be like, that's Mm -hmm. not real And it's not. Um, But I imagine it's sort of like, if there was like one energetic, like molecule in your body of like something unprocessed, it just like slowly attracts like, and it just like builds and grows like a mold. And, and I'm also the first person to be like, my openness about my mental health does not mean that everybody can just ask me whatever they want. It doesn't mean that, right? It also doesn't then mean that I am going to share everything about my mental health. Like maybe one day, but it's not, you know, it's the same thing about like trying to predict someone's um, sexual orientation or how they uh, identify. Like that's just, that's something that you leave to that person. But I do believe in like leading by example, and hopefully creating like a safe dialogue to be like, this is where I'm at right now. Uh, I actually, and I made a point in that post to say, I don't have a conclusion, right? Right. Like I'm talking about dysphoria without being like, and now this like stamp, I just wanted to open up a dialogue about sort of an ongoing conversation I'm having with myself in hopes that somebody would be like, Oh, okay. Because me too. And it's been confusing. And I'm glad to see that someone else, is speaking about it publicly so that like I can feel like mm-hmm. I can access it more because again, you know, I think that I'm also a huge, um, my, my, uh, my father took his own life. And so suicide has been a big part of my life for a long time. And I'm, I'm very much in the camp of like, like you said, secrets, secrets will kill you. And I think that the the more that you believe you have to play a role for other people, or you cannot live as yourself or, you you have no like outlet for the pain to find its way out. It never ends well. Mm. It never ends well. So I make it I make it like a very personal kind of crusade to to attempt to give people permission and safety to talk about where they're at, um while also making it clear that I'm a safe space, but not every space is safe. So, like you know, you, at your at your own discretion right.
0: sure. What do you say to queer youth, not even youth, even adults? who right now feel hopeless, who are frightened and scared of watching this legislation that is being pushed throughout the country. It is, you know, it is the more visibility the queer community gets, the more pushback. Yeah. Which is what I believe is happening. What, oh, do, you, yeah. what do you say to those kids out there? Or like I said, adults, any queer person who's, you know, is scared, is frightened.
1: I mean, Right now, it's a particularly. I'm 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 in conversation with a lot of my trans friends and a lot of my non-binary friends. Uh, any anybody who walks around visibly as a as a potential target to someone and who is feeling actively unsafe every day because of how they identify and how they present and all of these things. And I'm listening to them um, speak about, you know struggling with like do I do I hide myself? do I hide who I am? like how do i how do I um keep myself safe when I feel so unsafe? Like there's only so much one can do and and so much of it is so violent and so hateful and so irrational, really, that I would love to say, I feel incredibly hopeful and everything's gonna be fine. but i think I think that it's a very, very scary time right now. I think that I think that all we can do is, try to find, you know, as much community as we possibly can and know that, like, try to sort of batten down the mental hatches of our minds and know that, because even even if we feel fully healed and in both feet in our queer identity, I think it is nearly impossible to not feel even a little bit affected by the sort of, like, nauseating vitriol, that is coming at us every day and like, even I, like I have that little bit of like that, like tiny shame bug that comes up, like I am wrong. And then you have to be like, whoa, this is pervasive. Like this is, it's really, and and again, I think like the feeling of not wanting to be affected by it is um, noble, (laughs) but I think it's also unreasonable. Like, I think that it's a dark time. I think it's very scary. And I think that the best we can do is sort of be kind to ourselves, speak to our like young queer inner child about like all the work that we have done, hopefully find queer community, try to like be, because I was even thinking about this the other day, I was talking to one of my trans friends and it's like, who are we to ask our trans friends to be more visible than ever right now? Right. Because it's like, they're terrified. Like, what are we going to do? Ask them to be the face of something that they're also suffering, right? Like. You, you can't, you can't just go out and, um, and like represent fearlessly when you yourself are afraid, that's an unreasonable ask. And so I think, I think we're all going to have to figure it out together. I also would just say, you know, the age old truth, which is like, hate is just like fear in a big, scary coat. These people are so afraid of what they don't understand of what breaks their brain, of what feels outside of the confines of like, I've seen people, I've had conversations with people try to wrap their minds around gender identity, um, you know, transitioning, even just being attracted to the same gender, like really base level. And they, they can't do it. Like some people just can't make their brains go there, but instead of embracing it and being like, you know, listen, I don't understand, but that's, that's fine. And to each their own, it's like, they, they have this sort of animal instinct to like lash out, And I think that that's, that's really what we're facing right now is like the, the, this sort of like all the progress we've made in the queer community has also brought out a lot of, um, sort of death rattle screams is what I'm hoping it is death rattle screams from the, from the sort of more conservative hateful side. But I, yeah, I would just like, say like a little mantra to yourself every day. Like they're reacting this way because they are afraid It is not more powerful than than our love, than our warmth, than our light. It's not more powerful. It's just louder sometimes. And um, find your community and know that you are not made wrong. I guess that's all I would say.
0: Well, that's pretty good, Dove. And I wish we could keep talking, but I know you have to go. Um, This was amazing. You're amazing. We're going to chat some more, I'm sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And just keep living your truth because it's and I will say this to every queer artist, and I know people sit there like, "Oh, roll their eyes at me or whatever." But you're saving lives.
1: I don't think that's that's not our role. That's very
0: true. You are saving lives by living your truth. There's.
1: You make some, me cry.
0: <laughs> but, but there's someone out there who's looking at you, and watching you, and hearing you saying, "That could be me," and I'm going to be okay. So. It's true.
1: That. It's true. I, listen, you're saving lives.
0: <laughs> we're,
1: yeah. we're, we're all one big team, <laughs> interconnected through <are>. <laughs> brain, body, mind, spirit.
0: That was Dove Cameron. And that's it for this week's Just for Variety. Thanks for listening. Coming up next week mark consuelos just days before he's set to replace ryan seacrest as co-host of his wife kelly ripa's longtime talk show consuelos opens up about the new job his acting career and more until next time make sure to follow me on twitter and instagram at mark malkin and for all breaking and exclusive hollywood news go to variety.com see you next time